You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, traders and investors. Welcome to it. Pre-market prep. I'm excited to get into today's show. We'll talk about the new bull market. It looks like a breakout to the upside. Can it last? We'll take a look, of course, at Walt Disney's earnings. Looks like the House of Mouse is doing well here. We'll take a look at their price changes and everything that happened. Um, We'll talk about the financials coming to life. We'll also get into lawsuits around Zantax. We'll take a look at, of course, when the numbers hit. We got producer price index today, initial jobless claims. And of course, our special guest today, Cameron Dawson, CFA and Chief Investment Officer at New Edge Wealth. Are you guys excited to get into another round of pre-market prep where you get started and get everything that you guys need to get the markets going here? Welcome to pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. traders i see you guys excited that we will be having cameron on today let's bring on joel alconan how we doing joel oh we're ripping here we're continuing on from that eight day consolidation breakout to the upside yesterday uh traded very little under the pre uh the close of uh 42 10 that's been the high close of the rebound Low 0675 doesn't feel like we're ever going back down there. Just making new highs as we go. Uh, I can't give you any daily resistance, folks, because there isn't any. 4,300 is your next daily highs. That's just what the market's giving giving me. I'm not making it up. 4,302.75. That was your high on May 5th, your high on May 4th, 43.05 even. So, well, I'm sure we'll develop uh, some uh, levels in between here and there. But right now, things are wide open. Crude uh, rebounding from the 87 handle yesterday, up a buck 14, 93.07. You have gold still above 1,800, down 210 at 1,811.50. Silver in the red by 15.7 cents at 20.585 another good day for bitcoin back over 24k up 1015 at 24670 and ethereum futures two of the big leader yesterday uh they're up 97 dollars at 191850 i'm in full damage control here i'm just on the wrong side of a lot of stocks today so i'm going to try to do the show with you but i'm like it's all big caps i'm not going to talk about what i'm in but i'm just uh just on the wrong side of a lot of stuff today all right why don't you let why don't you let uh mitch just take the lead here yeah take the lead i'll try to give some analysis here if you want to you know if you have something that you want to comment on we'll just you know do it 
let Mitch do the preview. I'll do the setup. And then if something kicks in, if not, man, damage control, man, that's what it's about. You can't control always. the news. And we got a lot of pharma news this morning. And like we always say, risk assessment first, risk control first. Worry about that, Dennis. We got this. Let's talk a little bit. And, and this is just talk, right? New bull market from the bottom, right? About 20% up from that low. Now we're really starting to come back. Now, a lot of what you'll start seeing is a lot of people mentioning technically a bull market coming back. We've had a breakout to the upside. And now we're going to start seeing our people, our investors trying to play catch up. Are, are, are people just feeling like they missed the boat, especially if you were maybe in the bear camp, you know, that I was a part of. And now you're starting to see that upside move. Does the FOMO start getting you to going into buying today? Um, comments like this is what I was looking out for. And you saw Kramer step up to the plate. He said peak inflation is nirvana for stocks, especially out of favor stocks like fast growing tech names or the financials or the consumer discretionary names. He said that this means that you can buy everything from Microsoft to Wells Fargo to Target to even Disney. That was a comment given by James, uh, Jim Kramer yesterday. What do you feel about that, Joel? I feel like he should listen to Benzinga's pre-market prep show. <laughs> he's like we've been talking about this for two and a half months i mean uh you know we've had a you know we had a big decline we were all worried about q2 earnings season we got through that we we're all worried about inflation uh in fact i mean i like the number came in line that's the way the market reacted so uh i'm not saying not selling you know there's no reason to be selling into this rally yet but i mean if you're starting to build positions now I guess it just depends what you're in and, you know, what, what your targets are and your risk reward ratios are. But um, I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of feel like that's old news. Do you think that we're still in a moment right now where it's a buy everything moment? That's pretty much what he's given yesterday. So now I never think it's everything. a buy everything moment. It's, it's not, that. that's not you the know? way that, I mean, look at the pharma today. I mean, it's, I don't uh, even know what's going on with pharma right now. Like GSK starts GSK SNY overseas, but they're just absolutely hammering everything pharma right now. I can't even figure out why, like, is there, was there something with a bill? I mean, everything like in the XLV right now is just like getting hit pretty hard. So, you know, Pfizer, that's something to do with Zan. Like, I don't follow the Zantac thing closely. Obviously, something to do with it. It's down 3.9%. Yeah. It's a huge move. I have that in the long-term portfolio. But Same GSK, thing. go into it. Like, GSK, SNY, I mean, these are huge moves for very, you know, low beta stocks. I mean, GSK is widely owned in Europe as much as Pfizer is in the U.S. This is your biggest pharmaceutical company in Europe. SNY as well. So why is down 9% right now? So obviously this is off the Zantac news. Maybe we can hunt that down. Mitch, it yeah, started it right yesterday. Now. So you can see yesterday with SNY, it's 48.95 two days ago. And then just kaplooey. I mean, they hammer that thing. I have no position in GSK or SNY, but I do have some positions in pharma. It's not going well. Um, 43.20 was the lowest. Now you have 41, obviously trading over in Europe. So it's already pricing in where it wants to be. Serious sell-off here this morning in some pharma stocks. Continuation, too. I mean, this they is, say he's got whacked yesterday. Yeah, this is all on lit Something litigation did, yeah. about the recall on the heartburn drug, Zantax. Um, I will say it right off the hop. I've taken Zantax a couple of times and more oh, than a, a handful. Um, but Zantac was once a popular anti-acid that was drawn a fury of U.S. personal injury lawsuits alleging the causes of cancer. I didn't even know this, but this was interesting. I didn't even know it was off the market, but Zantac was withdrawn from the market in 2019 after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration said it appeared to produce an unacceptably high level of cancer-causing chemical when exposed to heat for as little as five days. So this is all coming off of the lawsuits around this. GSK declined to comment on the stock moves and ongoing lawsuits. Uh, Halion said that it's not a part, it's not a party of the lit litigation proceedings, and that it's never marketed the drug in any form. That one's still getting hit. HLN um, damages could possibly reach 10.5 billion to 45 billion, according to an analyst at Morgan Stanley. 
I mean, they're selling and asking questions later. I mean, but they're selling every pharma stock now. Are they worried like this is spilling over their other drugs? Like, I mean, I'm just looking at the U.S. drugs. You can look at the XLV, Joel, which obviously owns a lot of them just to get a feel for it. I do have a position in that trying to hedge myself a bit. I mean, it's down half a percent. So you're not going to 1% out. But I mean, you know, there's just so many. I mean, like Pfizer, too, down 4% now here. There's just a pile of big pharma just getting smacked around. Is this all off like i don't know why uh, if there's a bell what's i'm not I'm even in the chat i've been getting hit so hard here today i'm some time looking at the chat here chat's usually pretty good at what's going on did like i'm just wondering if there's like something that was said on the bill front or something with drug pricing because... yeah yeah that, that's true in the inflation act uh toronto dave they did include some farmer price capping and uh, when did that come out though a couple days ago. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What's come out in the last 20 minutes? Because it's just <laughs> kind of really started. Unless it's just r- wicked rotation, too. And, you know, it's full risk on. And we talked about pharma not going to be the place to be if we go into a risk on market. And that's absolutely the case. I mean, this is just, you know, I, 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 every single pharma stock is down here this morning. So maybe it's off this they're spooked on the GSK S&Y that they could be sued for billions of dollars. Maybe that's what's happening here. But it's a serious sell-off in pharma history. I mean, you come in, you say, what a great day for the markets. You own pharma stocks, you're like, what the hell is going on? It's definitely something that I think it's, it's Lily's down markets, three bucks but... now. It's just spilled over into every single pharma stock. I don't see anything in the comments. I don't think anyone knows something that we don't know, at least for the time being. I'll see if anybody puts something up. But for the right now, it looks like people are mentioning the bill also. Maybe that's a part of it. But, but that was looks... two days ago. I don't exactly. know what, if that was an update to that or something. Somebody said something. Because it seems, it feels like this is more than just Sanofi and GSK. It feels bigger than that. Just because these pharma stocks are getting hit so hard right now. So anyways, maybe I'm just a selective perception on my part. There's a lot of stuff up today. I mean, you got the airlines, the cruise lines all trading quite a bit higher. You've got a full-on risk on market retail. Banks are trading up. Tech Pam wants your definition of risk on, Dennis. What do you mean? What's my de- definition? Well, of risk she on? says, can you give a definition of risk on? And that's when you're seeing me. all the high beta stuff going up. Crazy. I mean, side. just yep. so so the way I I can assess it quickly is I got like a screen with like all sectors broken down, like 200 stocks. I got like farm in the corner, which is just bleeding out, and then I've got a lot of other stuff that's green. So I just look and I can see tech. Tech's fairly strong. I see ARKK up 1.22%. Shopify up 3.5% here today. So, you know, these are risky stocks. So it's mm-hmm. risk on on those stocks. But then you come around and, you know, the other stocks here, like just saying there's so much here that is, you know, conservative stocks are really getting hit here today. So, um, so those stocks typically do well, even when the market's going down, they almost move counter to the market. So it could be a little bit of rotation there too this morning, but it's like, seems a little bit more violent than that. It seems a little bit more like now there's news on the entire pharma sector. Yeah. J and J is getting hit too. Everything. And that's a stock that moves around 50 cents a buck a day. It's down two bucks right now. Full disclosure, I have position on that one. So, I mean, there's, you know, it's very, uh, it's very interesting to say the least. This is actually not a, that quiet of a morning. And then we're going to get what eight thirty number. We're going to get again, right? When's the, the when's the number? Is that eight thirty, Mitch? Yep, eight thirty. Yes, correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So you're going to get more information here coming too. I mean, rah rah bull bull. It's good. We're taking out four twenty. The market's good. My Disney's doing awesome. I'm up yep. in Disney. You know, I was being hammered in that thing forever in the long term portfolio, and and boom, you know, it's you know. It comes in. You here. gotta be up in it now. I'm up in it, yeah. Before we go talk. to the Disney, I started buying it at 151, <laughs> and then I bought like 125. I started buying 105. It was like the whole Kathy Wood out, never frown, average down. I brought my cost basis down enough that I'm actually up in the thing, which is unbelievable. <laughs> I just want to just before we do the Disney's earnings, just back on that risk off, risk on thing. When it's yeah. like a, a a risk a risk off day, like when the market's getting hammered. A lot of times you'll see like your Johnson and Johnson up on the day or mm-hmm. your, your UNH, your more conservative stocks. Right. Yeah. And those will be. But but that's not you know the greatest sign. But I just wanted to do the uh, the risk on risk off, you know, obviously tack the IWM into Bitcoin. Those would be your risk on assets. But uh, Dennis, this, uh, you made some good calls uh, over the years, but uh, the house of mouse. uh did you trim going into the report? 
I did just a, a very small piece, one quarter Good. of the position. So okay. I did three quarters through. I, I trimmed just a small piece, but um, I, I might trim a little bit more here today because it was such a big position. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm still going to hold the core position. They were like, because I still have the thesis that I still like Disney. I still think it's going to be a big part of the metaverse. I just, the, the stocks have all come back. I've been trimming everything in the long term portfolio just because we've had such a run. And we got 50% of the losses back in the overall market here in five weeks. So I just think it's prudent to trim. So I don't see it. I don't see a V bottom. The only reason you buy today, this is the only reason to go long in your long-term portfolio today is you think is going to be a V bottom. We're going to Cameron Dawson. We'll get her thoughts on that at 835. But that's really the only reason to be buying stocks today because we've went like this. So you went, you know, boom, boom. To buy today, you think we're going right back to the highs. I don't think that's happening. I think this is, you know, I think there's a lot of things, unknowns. I think there's a lot of problems here still. I know Biden's saying, oh, we had zero inflation in July. Very exciting. Yes, but inflation, we're still up year over year, 8.5%. So a little disingenuous. Yeah, a little bit away saying, from 2%. Yeah, a little bit disingenuous. He's like, you know, there. we had zero inflation. We brought this down to zero inflation. Yeah, because prices just went absolutely astronomical. I mean, I feel like that's disingenuous. I wasn't, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. not getting political here, Biden, Trump, whatever, Democrat, Republican, but I just felt it was disingenuous to be talking like that. So that we had zero inflation and bragging about it in, a, in an environment where we're still 8.5% year and, over year. And why did inflation not go down as much, right? I mean, the core inflation came down pretty significantly, but if you look at the CPI report, you see more and more that it's the rent prices, the shelter that's keeping it up. And that is sticky. That doesn't change from month to month as much as you could see oil prices change. And so in my eyes, will this keep the inflation higher and keep the numbers closer towards that 8% than coming down towards 6% or 7%? So it's going to be tough to get it down. It's going to be tough to get that number down, right? You can see oil change in a heartbeat, but you don't see that shelter number change too often. And it just keeps increasing. And you're hearing more and more mentions of now something called the rent crisis, as people are starting to call it, because rent is just continuing to skyrocket on uh, real estate out there. And I mean, the, the big part of this also is when you had all that liquidity and those cheap interest rates, some of these bigger companies went out and they bought a lot of the supply that was out there. And now they're re-putting it up as rent. And they're putting it up significantly higher, right? And so they have the supply. So these bigger companies are making the money, the property management companies, and it's causing some issues there in the inflation. Um, But let's go to Disney. Let's talk about Walt Disney's numbers here. EPS Q3 coming in here at $1.09, beating the $1 estimate. Sales at $21.5 billion, beating the $20.49 billion estimate. They reported $14. 0.4 0.4 million Disney Plus subscribers added in Q3 2022, beating the estimates of 9.8 million. So big beat there on the subscribers gained. They did lower though 2024 guidance, and that's just a, a further outlook there. Disney said that the main Disney Plus service, excluding Hotstar, to reach 135 million to 165 million on the high end for the end of fiscal 2024. Um, now, one thing that they did start doing is a couple of price changes. I'll show you guys a little bit about that. I just have like a quick image to, sh- to describe that. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let me take off these banners here so you guys can see this a little bit more. And so the price changes here, Disney Plus uh, now coming with a subscription ad plan, right? And so they added this, they pulled the Netflix on this, and now Disney will have the basics with ad at $7.99, a premium with no ads at $10.99. Hulu will have the same thing, and so will ESPN+. Plus. And then they also adjusted their uh, bundle package, which is also something that you see a lot of people get. And their bundle package is now going uh, without ads. It's going to be $12.99. And with, uh, without ads, it's going to be $14.99. And with ads, it's going to be $12.99. So they increased the bundle package without ads for $1 and they lowered it by $1 for with ads here. Um, Let's talk a little bit about their um, park numbers. 
because I know that everyone was thinking the parks were going to kill it, right? So the parks and experience revenue was at $7.39 billion, up 70% year over year. Estimates were $6.65 billion. And the main driver really wasn't the parks. It was the U.S. resorts that drove the money there in the park experience and product revenue line. Lots to take in there, Mitch. I mean, the bottom line here is they give a lot. They don't give a little bit in their earnings. The bottom line here is I think we need to start looking at a potential fifty percent retracement of the overall move. Um, And it's still a lot higher because this really has gotten killed. I mean, you could take the recent move from the one eighty. It depends where you want to grab it from one eighty to ninety. So you know, ballpark one thirty five. 125 you're getting into this gappy area too here though joel like you're getting into an area where you know we went down fairly quickly through and now we're coming back up in that area um i'm long disney it is the big i believe the biggest position still in my long-term portfolio so i'm pretty happy about this move here today i might trim into it a bit just because it was an oversized position might get it to a normal size position because it's it's literally went up i have you know you got to respect that i was wrong with call i was early with the call and it's went from 90 to 123 here, 33 um, points. You're talking about a 40% move in three weeks. I mean, same thing, same reason I trimmed my AMD position. It wasn't that I don't believe in it. It's just that I got it really wrong. And the stock, you know, literally is just bailing me out. So um, in AMD, Disney, I mean, I still held, held some AMD holding the initial core position. But trimming what I, the extra stuff I bought for the simple reason that I thought it was way oversold. It was. It's not oversold anymore. Uh, boy, oh boy. Uh, certainly a, a wake-up call to the shorts in this issue here. Uh, holy mackerel. Blowing the doors up. 1074. Once again, you're just you're making new highs here in the pre-market session. So I, I can't say, you know, lean on the pre-market high. I'll just go to the next area of two daily highs. And uh, that comes in 26.45, 27.35. So if you're looking for more on the upside, you think this thing's just going to keep on going, uh, I would look for those for targets. But and this is what probably tr- double or triple or quadruple its average daily range. So 126.45, if you, you want to let some go today. And then the next daily high, 127.35. Where to be, buy this? I, I, yeah, I'll leave that to the experts. How does this report go and affect the relationships like Netflix? We saw Netflix running Netflix a little bit kicked into it off yesterday. Netflix kicked yeah. it off. How do you think this will? And that's come it? back Let's a long ways too. Yeah. Here, I've been bag holding this thing forever here too in the long term. Well, my wife, I guess, been bag holding it. But you're coming <laughs> back to the price of memory. Two forty eight seventy was the high from the gap down day. I think you challenge that. I think it's a serious resistance point. Then you get into the gap. I don't know if it's going to let into the gap. What do you think, Joel? Is it going to let will. in there? Oh, yeah, for sure. You think so? Nothing I mean, I don't know if it's going to, like, fill. I mean, it's going to, I mean, if the, if the tempo of the market, you know, keeps up here, yeah. I mean, it's going to take a long time. You probably won't, you know, need another earnings report or something to uh, to go up. But really, Netflix kind of you know kick things off and the other thing you know with disney is uh creating those extra packages and raising prices what you know when you can right when your subscriber growth is going they got that working for them i don't i guess they're not worried about attrition there right the pricing people out they're hooked on it now and uh yeah just a kid you know netflix and disney uh you know proven to be the winners here Pre- nothing here i mean dennis gave you the one level to look at in netflix uh and that would be 248.70 easily i uh, see that today over the next couple of days something to keep on watch we'll see how uh kind of espn's growth was i did see the espn subscriber growth grow 53 percent year over year um, I think that a lot of that had to probably do with the hockey move that they had, Dennis. Do you think that was attributed to that? Uh, I don't know. This is beyond my pay grade. We get into the fundamentals this much. It's no money in it, so I don't even analyze it. Uh, and that's the truth. There's no. No, what I was more long here. saying was because I mean I don't no, know I'm too arguing, much I'm hockey. I'm just saying we're going. I don't so know too much hockey there, it. but this not yep. my style. It's not my style to go like really deep and analyze that. Uh, if I was sitting there. And wasting my time analyzing every little, you know, aspect of a report. If you trade one stock or five stocks, you can do that. 
when you're trading hundreds of stocks and bouncing all around, it's simply, it's just time. You, it's no time. That's why I listen to zero conference calls. Never, ever listen to a conference call. Never, <laughs> ever dig into the reports. The reason is it's all headline driven anyways, because the algos aren't even doing that either. That so is, you yeah, write your book already, man. There, there, there can be some fundamentals. There is some case, you know, where you're a real hedge fund manager, you're making two trades a day, and you're really analyzing the hell out of the things. But anybody who's actively trading, you're wasting your time really digging into the reports. Oh, was it ESPN? Oh, was it this? You know, now that's wasting your time, man. I, I would, I wouldn't even do that stuff. It's, it's charts, it's headlines. That's the way that active day traders should be focused. It's how I focus. And I think it's the way for active day traders. You're a long-term investor. You have five stocks. Disney's one of them. Dig in there. Maybe you'll find something. But I think 99% of the time, you're probably wasting your time. All right. So let's go to the next topic. Let's go to the financials coming to life. Mm, boy, oh boy. We talked about this a little bit. I, You know, they wouldn't move up with higher interest rates, you know, that because uh, worried about a recession. And I don't know. I mean, uh, XLF had a breakout yesterday. Bank America broke out of that long consolidation, trading up 48 cents. I mean, could you, you know, have some money coming out of uh, pharma uh, going into the financials? Uh, sure. I mean, they're not super sexy, but uh, if you're looking, if you're looking to, you know, to buy today and, you know, you're saying, I would say the financials, they had a, they had a good day yesterday. They're still, rel- you know, price from the bottom here, uh, but nice move. And, um, you know, it's the, the fear of the uh, recession seems to be abating. And I think that's what was holding the banks down, but uh, nice moving them yesterday. They're not super sexy. I don't know if I'd put them in a super risk on uh, category, but they had a nice move yesterday. All right. Now we'll give the estimates here for the numbers that will be coming in in just about three minutes here. July producer price index PPI month over month estimate at 0.2 prior was 1.1. So a huge difference there from the prior. That's one thing that I noticed yesterday with the CPI number and the core CPI number that I feel a lot of people paid attention to the prior and the month, right? And how much that changed in the core CPI. So pay attention also to core PPI um, right now, month over month. Estimates are exactly to the prior. So 0.4 is the estimate and prior is 0.4. So one thing you notice is there in the overall producer price index, there's a big change there in the estimate to the prior, but in the core, it's actually the same number. That's what I'll be paying attention. You also will get initial jobless claims to hit uh, last week was at 260,000. Estimate is 263,000. Um, we'll see how these kind of perform. Last time it did beat the estimate a significant amount on the upside, giving a, a little bit of room there for the Fed, of course. Um, a lot of people are going to be watching to see if if PPI just comes in you know, lower than expected and it's not hot and we're really starting to see inflation peak. This could give us another lift today. Um, I know I'm seeing a lot of stocks kind of getting strong here towards the open. Spy's been going up here since about 7 a.m. It's been strong, yeah. Yeah, it's been strong, right? Yeah, well, they were leaning into that. I mean, they were leaning in that report long yesterday, right? They were. I mean, even uh, uh, the the gunners at 829.30, they were were pushing it. Uh, Here you get into an area of just... Like I, I showed you on the dailies, there's just no, there's no daily resistance. Uh, there are some other ways to come up. A psychological number might I'll be, be 4250. Uh, if we start to go into reverse, I have the one minute chart here. Uh, if they start to slam it, we've had like a 30 point move. So, you know, m- maybe 4520, 4521. I think the big number uh, we got was yesterday uh, for the most part. Uh, but there is a strong bid in the market here, trading right near the highs of the pre-market session. So we will see what it uh, the PPI data uh, imminent here uh, coming up in just a matter of seconds. As mentioned, three ticks off the high of the day. Uh, you do have um, still have your pharma trading in your red. That's really the only uh, 
really the only negative I see Exxon Mobil uh, trading down just uh, trading down just fifteen cents. So, as the world waits for that PPI data, we will wait too. And it's it's light, and the buyers are push us forty two forty five. They like it. It, the uh, right now CPI data confirming are uh, the PPI data. Uh, what do we got? Looks like we get the actual number. The All early right, gunners came is. in there and they thought it was uh, it was July, soft. Point two versus point four on the core, so lighter there. And then um, trying to get the overall number there, but I, I wanted to pay attention to that core. It came okay. in light there, so that's a good sign there. I'm going to give you guys the numbers right up at the top here. I'm still looking for the initial jobless claims also, but here month over month core P, uh, PPI at 0.2 versus the 0.4 estimate prior was 0.4. That's going to help out a little bit here. Uh, initial jobless, uh, continuing jobless claims. Uh, initial came in at 262,000 versus a 263 expected here. And now I'm looking for uh, PPI here that's not the core one just give me one second yeah here. Bob, I, i'm seeing uh uh they fell uh 0. 0.5 demand 0. 0.5 versus estimate of 0. 0.2 mm-hmm. uh it's still so high on a, yeah still high on a yearly basis 9.8 percent uh yeah, versus the estimate of 10.4 percent and then you gave the jobless claims numbers so Right now, I mean, as I said before, we're just in an area here of uh, very, very little resistance. Uh, 4247 had backed off a little bit, but uh, those leaning long into the report here at least have been uh, being rewarded, trading up 31 and a quarter handles. Any more, any more detail on that? Uh, the defense plan may be working here. Um, no, what kind of. Not too off of what we expected there. The core one was an, an impressive one at the 0.2 um, versus the 0.4. Uh, the PPI month over month estimate was 0.2 coming in at 0.5, not coming down as fast as expected there. The prior was 1.1. So there you guys see it, at least in core, it came down a, a pretty good amount from the estimate, but the overall not coming down towards that estimate there. So showing a little bit more stickiness in inflation there. Uh, initial jobless claims at 263. Uh, that's not bad because it came in at 262 versus a 263 estimate. So not too off of the estimate there. Okay. All right. Let's get out of that. Let's go into our interview today. Let's dive on in. You guys were excited when we mentioned it right out the hop. Let's dive into it. Like always, we're going to get in with Cameron Dawson here, CFA and Chief Investment Officer at New Edge Wealth. Welcome back, Cameron. Great. Thank you guys for having me. Good to see you. Excited to hear your opinions on what's been going on. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You guys put out such an uh, extensive deck there that there's a lot to talk about. Let's go through it, Joel. You can start us off. Uh, well, I, it's like a six-week course uh, looking at that. Uh, great information. Uh, but let's before, I mean, the, it, let's just uh, let's just go over, you know, just real quick in that the inf- new information that DeMarcus has given us over, over the last couple of days. Uh, 
we're waiting for inflation to come down. Are you looking at is this just like, you know, like do you need to see it come down one month, two months, three months, or, or do you think peak inflation is finally here? Yeah, it, you, that's really been the push pull in this because markets always trade on the rate of change. And it's not necessarily the level that matters, but the momentum that matters. You know, as a cyclicals, you'll always talk about second derivatives. And so the fact that inflation is rolling over certainly seems to be giving people confidence that we're moving in the right direction. But that's kind of counter to what the Fed is saying. The Fed is saying, yes, okay, we see that it's peaked, but it's still so far above what our target is and we're not willing to call victory. So we've been talking about this this kind of really game of chicken between the bond market and the Fed, where the bond market's saying, yeah, well, we think you're going to end up cutting rates. And the Fed's saying, absolutely not, because the Fed's worried that if they do cut rates, they could actually cause inflation to reignite again and start accelerating. And so I think that really remains the big disconnect between markets today, because clearly a lot of this equity rally is based on the back of the lower yields we've seen since the June Fed meeting and that has boosted valuations. And the question is, does that continue mostly as we start going into a a more intense period of quantitative tightening that that we get in September that could cause some volatility in the back end of the curve? But at this point, as you've been saying all morning, Joel, there's not a lot of resistance within the daily charts of the S&P 500. So the momentum is certainly to the upside. But then I think we have to start asking some questions once we get to that resistance. All right. So, you know, we've trimmed, uh, you know, the mean CPI and uh, we've talked about the other components, but uh, talk about the sticky CPI uh, that uh, perhaps is not peaked that uh, careers had in the upcoming months. Well, that that's really important because the Fed has told us that they look at that, whether it's looking at the Atlanta Fed sticky CPI, which what that does is it takes the very volatile components and it looks at the more uh, shorter, sorry, the slower moving components of the CPI. And that has not peaked. That still remains near 30, 40 year highs. It's not rolling over yet. And that includes very important things like the shelter components of the CPI. So that's rent and housing. And the important thing there is that those shelter components lag housing price data by about four quarters. And so even if we start to see house prices roll over, and it's important to note that they haven't, um, even though we've seen weakness within the housing market or slowing in a housing market activity, house prices have not really started to roll over on a national basis. That's going to keep those sticky components of the CPI very elevated. The other one to look at is the trimmed mean CPI that throws out the extreme readings on the top end and the low end. And that hasn't rolled over either, which tells you that inflation is still very broad. So when we think about the Fed's reaction to the data, what they'll look at is they'll say, "Okay, we get the headline numbers rolling over. And the if we look at what drove that headline deceleration this month, it was mostly energy prices. But we also saw things like airfares and used car prices start to pull that headline month over month number to that to that zero level. Uh, but the the challenge that they have is that these sticky components and the breadth of inflation likely means that inflation readings stay well above their 2% target. You add on top of that wages that are still growing 5 6%, those are sticky as well. And so the question is, if we start seeing this moderation, can the Fed claim victory, even as you're seeing these sticky components stay elevated. Yeah, let's uh, let's go a little bit more into the wages because that's something that uh, people don't seem to mind a whole lot, right? With inflation, is the uh, is the higher um, is the uh, is the higher wages? Uh, you know, one one thing that kind of kept me out of the uh, you know the bear uh, recession depression camp. Uh, was the employment situation, you know, that, you know, the, the want, you know, the help wanted, the people need to work. I mean, let's just go a little bit more into that, the stickiness of wages. And uh, I mean, people are not, you know, with rising inflation now, increasing inflation, it's going to be high. I mean, their wages are, might be the last thing to turn around and come down. 
Yeah, it, wages and labor in general are always backward looking indicators because they take a long time to respond to changes in the economy. Companies usually are not very quick to do layoffs and it's very hard to cut wages once you've raised them. And so it's likely that we still continue to see the strength in the labor market. And it is wild that we're seeing non-farm uh, payrolls stay very strong while initial jobless claims do start to tick up. So maybe Maybe there's some signs, some very early signs of some easing in this tightness. But you know, if you look even things like job op job openings, the JOLTS report, that still remains extraordinarily elevated. So because we're coming from such a period of tightness within the labor market, as we see a little bit of easing around the surface, it's certainly not opening things up where companies are having ease in finding labor. You know, that NFIB small business survey, I show the compensation plans here, that's kind of come off the boil some. But if you look at the jobs being hard to fill, that remains very elevated. So to your point, Joel, that really goes against this notion that we're already in a recession. The fact that we added over 500,000 jobs last month, um, even though a lot of those might have been part-time jobs, and I understand right, yeah. the constitution of it was a little bit different. But that would argue that, that the recession isn't happening now. That doesn't mean we don't go towards that direction. If you look at things like the ISM survey of employment for both manufacturing and in services, you start seeing that there's some weakness, there's some softness that can typically be a good leading indicator. But at this point, the labor market remains tight enough that people are able to, to demand higher wages. I think the last point there, though, is that real wage growth still remains deeply negative. And it's been negative since April of 2021. And that that actually coincides with the drop in consumer confidence. So consumer confidence at the University of Michigan survey really started to fall off a cliff around that April of 2021, because that's when people started losing purchasing power. And that really helps to explain why consumers have felt so terrible for so long. Um, but it doesn't seem at any point that we're seeing an easing in that real wage growth where it's turning positive. So that also explains why you've seen this big surge in credit card spending, bridge the gap between what you want and what you can't afford. Um, but at the end of the day, consumer balance sheets still remain fairly healthy. So it's, you know, you're seeing deterioration, but you're not to the point yet where you say the consumer from a credit perspective is, is in danger, like we were in like 05, 06. Now, what do you feel, Cameron, really changed inflation? What caused us to peak here? Well, it was certainly oil, gas prices, oil prices. Uh, that was the big driver. You, know, you saw a swing in the month over month contribution for energy prices. They added 60 basis points to the month over month number from uh, from May to June. And then they detracted 40 basis points from June to July. So that's a 100 basis point swing. And that explains the majority of this move in um, uh, in inflation. It also, as you show here, explains the majority of the mood in, in inflation expectations. So you would think that if consumers were, were interviewed about what they think inflation is going to be over the long Run. They may not look at gas pump prices today to determine what that is, but that's actually the case. There's a very strong relationship between gas prices and inflation expectations. And so when we saw the July reading of inflation expectations fall to a one-year low, that's because we had seen a consistent day after day decline in gasoline prices. They've fallen almost a dollar since the June high, and it's been a consecutive over 55-day move lower in gas prices. Now, now, the caveat there is that we're kind of tied to the hip with gas prices then, meaning that both our inflation readings and our inflation expectation readings will remain very sensitive to energy prices. So lower energy prices likely is a boost to markets, meaning lower inflation, higher energy prices you know, could cause some some you know, more fear to enter markets. So I'm just and Cameron here. Sorry, I just got, came back and I was training the people. <laughs> number, so I was a little bit late to come in here. Um, but just listening to you the whole time, and like it sounds to me like it was commodity driven, uh, that, that the relief that we just saw in these inflation numbers, commodity driven, which was kind of predictable. What about other things? Like, can we jump into like, is there other stuff that obviously we get relief from the commodities, but I mean, we're still, you know, cooking pretty hot here. Um, was there other things that were ticking higher? 
Yeah, the, the, the one component that actually accelerated in the month over month uh, this past month was food prices. So that's interesting, given the fact that we actually have seen uh, soft commodities roll over quite significantly in the past couple of months. Uh, but if we look, there's still many components that are running at very, very high levels, double digit levels. And you can break down all of the CPI components. And what you see is that services is still accelerating. You know, that's important because services is a bigger part of, of the CPI than goods is, and it tends to be stickier. Yeah. So services makes a new, makes a new high and it really is looking at durable goods that's rolling over the fastest. And that's that whole shift from goods to services. You bought a grill in 2020 or 2021. You don't need to buy another one. Inventories are ticking up. There was a chart going around this morning showing furniture inventory to sales being quite high. So what you're likely to see is a lot of, def you could even see deflation in durable goods, meaning falling prices, because now we have too much inventory. And so, and because consumers have pulled forward demand, now, the problem you have is that that services is still moving higher. So it really will be a matter of, of which one you know, nets out to be the number of the direction where we go with inflation. We're on the line with Cameron Dawson, CFA, Chief Investment Officer for New Edge Wealth. Uh, we talk about a lot of different things on the show. Uh, obviously, uh, the futures, the stock index futures, crude, gold, Bitcoin, uh, whatnot. But we really don't put a lot of emphasis or talk a lot about the euro dollar. Mm -hmm. And um, I see you've included that um, in your deck as the euro dollar futures pricing in an earlier start to rate uh, cuts. Uh, high stakes chicken with the Fed here. The Fed doesn't seem they want to do it. Uh, how should like the average investor, you know, try and look at the dollar, euro dollar, you know, situation or changes it and let that be somewhat of a factor um, in their investment decisions? Yeah, so the euro dollar is important, and it's at first we have to acknowledge it's this is not this is not the currency. This is not the the euro dollar currency uh, exchange rate. Euro dollars are are borrowings that happen outside of the U.S. and so they they aren't necessarily predictions, but they are ways that big um, owners of bonds, big pensions, uh, other companies, banks. It's how they're hedging the positions within within their their large portfolios is through these euro dollars, and what what we're seeing is that these big players within the bond market are starting to essentially buy protection with the idea that you're going to see rates moderate in 2023 because of maybe something bad happening, meaning that the economy gets weak enough that. You start seeing the Fed having to consider interest rate cuts as we move into 2023. So again, it's not a prediction, but it is a reflection of the fears out there in the market and what's being priced in. Now, the interesting thing is that is that if we look at the two-year yield, that remains extraordinarily important for the path forward for the Fed, for what the U.S.-based kind of domestic bond market is saying. And even though we saw the two-year yield initially uh, lower, so meaning the bond bonds rallied, the yields fell yesterday. We actually saw them, the yields kind of rally back near the end of the day. So initially the bond market was saying, oh, we don't think the Fed's going to have to raise interest rates as much and they might even be cutting rates. But then the bond market kind of rallied back. You saw this, this movement back in yields and you, you're still seeing the two-year yield, though it's not really rallying high in this, you know, this strong uptrend like it was earlier in the year, kind of losing a little bit of momentum, but still above its 50-day moving average hasn't rolled over in a meaningful way. So until that rolls over, it would be doubtful that that, that part of the bond market is really pricing in imminent rate cuts. All right. So after a big rally like this, I mean, it, it's difficult, right? Is it, do you chase? Do you chase? Do you sit back? I mean, now, and like, and we talked about this earlier in the week. I mean, you're just, for the people waiting for the retest of the low, that's just getting farther and farther away. And I'm also of the persuasion that I don't want to retest that low because if we retest it, we're going down, we're going a lot lower. Is it is this time to you know take a chance in the market looking at this rally and just saying, okay, yeah, I missed uh you know six, seven hundred points in the S P. Uh is it too late to take a chance? 
Well, I think there's a there's a few important points there. The first one is what we've seen in momentum and breadth in this rally, which has been very different than the other rallies that we've had year to date. You know, a lot of the market, you know, bear market bounces that we had were very anemic. They didn't have any momentum. Breadth was really weak, meaning that there were only a few names participating. And that has been different this time of year, this time around. And we've also seen some cyclicality leading out of this rally. So things like small caps doing better, coming off the lows, they actually bottomed versus the market in April. So that would support a notion that, that as you've seen better breadth, as you've seen better momentum and cyclicality, that it reduces the likelihood that you retest the June lows and that you actually make all new all-time lows. Now, of course, you could you for this bear market, you could have a scenario where you have a liquidity event, some kind of black swan event, which would take us much lower. Uh, but that's not something that we're that we can predict in the very near term. So I think that that the reality here is that the likelihood of a retest is lower. Now, to Dennis's point earlier in the show, which is, would you buy today? Would you chase this rally? And we think the, the answer is no, because we don't think that we are set up for a V-shape recovery. Um, and, and I think that that's really important here because a V-shape, obviously we've had a V-shape coming off the bottom, but are we going to enter into a brand new bull market from here? Meaning that we take out the prior all-time highs and we continuously oh, 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 oh. go into these new new highs. And I think that's really challenging given the, 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 the posture of liquidity in the Fed, meaning that we don't have a Fed that is going to be adding liquidity to this market anytime soon. That's so, so critical because that's what gave the, the power for rallies like in 16 or 18 or 20 to have multi-year rallies coming out of that because of that movement to a more abundant liquidity environment versus today's world, which is a more restrictive liquidity environment. So the Fed going from 75 basis points to 50 basis points in rate hikes is not adding liquidity. It's just slowing the pace that they're taking it out of the system. But the other point, and this is very related, is on valuations. And it is this really speaks to the fact that we started from such a high valuation starting point to start this year, that even though we saw this big market decline, valuations from a historical perspective never really got that cheap. And in this rally, we've seen valuations surge to about 18 and a half times. And that isn't cheap from historical standards. And really, you know, the, the way we think about it is that there's only three reasons to pay more than 20 times for the S&P 500. And we could debate if because of the, the constituency of the S&P 500, you know, better ROIC names, better margin names and things like tech, that the, the overall multiple should be higher for longer. But even if we go back to the peaks that we had in 18, as well as in, in 19, we peaked out you know, right under 20 times. And so what would what would cause you to want to pay more than 20 times for this market? The first one would be that earnings are so bombed out that you're willing to pay a high multiple for today's earnings because you expect them to recover quickly in the future kind of like what you saw in 2020. You can put a huge multiple on earnings in 2020 because in 2021, we had 50% earnings growth. And so if we had that scenario, then that would be a reason to pay a high multiple. That's not what we have today. Of course, earnings haven't been cut in aggregate for 2022 and 2023, they're still set to grow another 8%. The other reason is if the Fed is flooding the market with liquidity, already talked about that, it's not likely to happen in the near term, just less liquidity being removed. And the last one is if we're in a bubble. And, and you know, we can argue that we were in a bubble in, in 2020, 2021 in certain parts of the market. And that's just because when valuations go high, they stay high in a bubble. But that doesn't seem to be the scenario we're in today yet. So when you put all those three things together, we think that the valuation of this market acts as a ceiling. Even if I rolled numbers forward to 2023, $244 a share in earnings, you know, we're still at 17 times if we rally to four, 17 and a half times if we rally to 4,400. That's pretty expensive in this liquidity environment. 
If you even look at growth stocks, I think that one's even more important. We've talked a lot about the relationship of real yields meaning, and, and gross valuations. They move inversely, higher real yields, lower, lower growth valuations, lower real yields, higher growth valuations. And what we've seen is that as real yields have lowered in the last couple of months, you've seen growth valuations absolutely skyrocket. They're now trading at 26 times. That's above the peak of the pre-pandemic peak back in late 2019, early 2020. So you know, these valuations aren't cheap. They can still get more expensive if real yields start to fall again. But if real yields rise, then I think that those growth valuations are at risk. One more here. Uh, Non-U.S. equities continue to struggle. Uh, I think the first time we had John, you had maybe we were looking for like for China to uh, uh, to pick it up a little bit with their their stimulus. Uh, that's a whole different situation here. But uh, are you better better to keep your money at home, or do you think that there's you know some enticing opportunities um, in uh, non-U.S. equities markets? Sure. I think on a single stock basis, there's you know obviously always some kind of idiosyncratic opportunity. But the argument here is that these indices, both the EFA International Index and the EM Index, are value traps. And it's always, you know, and I'm sure it'll happen again this year, at the beginning of the year, a bunch of strategists will come out and say, by international, U.S. is going to underperform. But what's happened is that these have been in consistent and persistent downtrends on a relative basis, and that we've actually been making new lows on a relative basis. And so the argument usually goes, oh, well, these are so cheap versus the U.S. And yeah, they are. They're trading at 30, 40 percent discounts versus the U.S., but those discounts just get continuously wider. So one of the things that we did is looked at earnings growth in the U.S. US versus international and EM since 2006. The reason we chose 2006 is because that was the peak in the international cycle. And what you see there is that though uh, the US has grown earnings over 150% since that 2006 point, the international and EM indices have grown earnings less than 10%. So wow. there's clearly a fundamental driver of this. This is not just about valuation. And so what the, 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 the driver that we're looking for, the catalyst that we're looking for to become more constructive on non-US markets really is a weaker dollar. And a weaker dollar was so important to the big rally and outperformance we saw in non-US markets in the in the early 2000s. You had a 40% depreciation in the dollar during that time. And that led to this huge rally that we saw in these non-US assets. So unless the call is that we go into a period of very marked, pronounced, and prolonged dollar weakness, uh, I think it behooves investors to remain doubtful that, that these indices, international and EM, are worth an overweight. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you, Cameron, for, I mean, I saw people in the chat, they were just putting the blowing the mind emoji. And I think so. You just blew our mind there with so many stats and outlooks on different types and parts of the market. If you guys haven't looked into new edge wealth, I think you might need to go ahead and do so. Cameron kicking it out the water. We'll appreciate you coming on back. Great. Thank you guys. Thanks, Cameron. All, All right, right. S&P's back up at the highs. Go ahead, Mitch. Yeah, a lot to lot to uh, dive in there. Um, I mean, we could go into Cameron's interview there all day long, but let's take a look. Quick look. Looks like the markets did not care about that PPI, and we're still in full breakout mode here. Well, I thought the number was fine. So, I mean, yep. this market is silver. This market is a silver lining market. That give me something okay, and we're gonna buy the hell out of the stocks. I mean, the, the only fear, you know, to the point Manny, um, one of my Twitter followers there, is just saying this market just keeps ignoring bad news. Um, this market, there's, there, he's saying that it's, they don't fear anything. And he's exactly right. The only thing this market fears right now is missing out. That's all anything going on here is FOMO. People are all just like, I got to buy stocks. This is at the bottom is in. I got to buy, buy, buy. Again, to Cameron's point, you had to be doing that five weeks ago. Because we just rallied half of it back. You're paying 20 times multiples on earnings that may not, you know, if we go into a recession, these earnings are going to come down. And they're going to be paying even more. So you got to consider that too. Like, did the economy all of a sudden recover? 
because inflation stopped going up for a month. It's not like we're back at 2%. And it was all helped by gas. These wages are not coming back down. People don't take wage cuts. You know, there's and, and people are still looking at their bills. And again, it takes time to go into the economy. I mean, when you raise rates, when you raise interest rates to slow the economy, it's not just all of a sudden everybody's broke. They make the first payments. They make the next payments. Okay, well, we're getting a little tight. Let's not buy the toys. You know, let's not buy the fancy furniture. To Cameron's point again, you know, seeing inventories and some of that stuff maybe start to build up. Slow and steady, though, eventually the consumer is strapped. And are we, you know, in this environment where the Fed can start lowering rates aggressively to help this market go? I, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think the inflation is, I think we slowed it. We peaked it. But we haven't started really bringing it in yet. So, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, it was zero. So, oh, yeah, it's back to zero. But no, we're at inflated ridiculous prices for one month. 8.5% still year over year. And there's going to be other things that are catching up. Like everybody I talk to in businesses, small business, is raising their prices. And, you know, you ask why. And they're like, well, because everybody else's. I'm like, so it's just an excuse to raise prices. Well, we have to raise prices too. You've got to break that mentality. And the only way to do that is to break demand. We haven't Mm -hmm. even broke demand yet. So we're still in the early innings on, you know, trying to break this down. Yet the market is already looking past it and saying we've beat it. That's nonsense. So I think this is a gift. I think the S&Ps, you know, to rally back half of the losses in five weeks is a gift. I think everybody's looking at their portfolio and they're feeling a little bit better about themselves. I think time is to, like, raise more cash again. Five, six weeks ago, stuff was oversold. It was, you know, it got to a point where, okay, we've just priced in a lot of bad news. But all of a sudden, we've priced in a lot of good news. So I think we got to just keep our head on straight. Look at this from, you know, the overall picture of what's going on and still the china wildcard over there and maybe take some profits into this even though we're going through 420 maybe we're going to be bottom maybe i'm going to be wrong but i don't think we are so and that's where my bets are and that's why i'm taking chips off the table all right let's go ahead we'll wrap on up what are the levels to watch today joel there's nothing to watch on the upside nothing to watch nothing to watch i can't give you that i mean the next day i mean we could develop something over the next couple days but you got your pre-market high at 42 47 then your next daily highs are at 43 right at that that uh 4300 level who who thought we'd be talking about that a little over six more what four or five weeks ago all right, I'll go ahead and I'll get Joel on out of here. Check him out on Pre-Market Prep Plus or definitely check him out on the intro to Swing Trading with Pre-Market Prep hosted by Spencer Israel, Joel Alconin, Dennis Dick, and Rob Friesen. I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer here. Joel, you have a great one like always. And we're going to keep watching to see what happens in this market. But if you want to learn a little bit more about swing trading, come on over to the introduction. All you got to do is go to premarketprep.com. Then you want to go ahead and use the promo code that's only for the pre-market prep users and people that watch us on the daily basis. PMPP10 is your discount code for that event. Check it on out. Are you tired of being sucked into momentum stocks just as the momentum turns the other way? Do you not have a big enough account or tired of the complexity for options trading? Well, join pre-market prep's introduction to swing trading. This is going to get me fired up. Learn event-driven trading, seasonality, sympathy trading, and you can stay on top with optimal hedging strategies. So welcome back, Spencer Israel from the Sarkit Hiatus, and learn along with Tim as he hones his trading and investing skills. August 18th, 12 p.m. Eastern to 3 p.m. Eastern. You think you learn a lot every day listening to pre-market prep? Learn how to become an investor that can survive the swings, ups, and downs in this volatile environment. All right, traders, I'm going to get you guys on over. Next up, you guys got live trading with Benzinga. And check out today, we got an interview from Qualcomm. Yes, I said it, guys. Go ahead and check that on out. That's going to be a great interview. That's going to be coming at 1.30 
on stock market movers. Don't miss that, guys. Do you want to see the interview from Qualcomm? You're not going to miss that. That's the CFO from Qualcomm. It's going to be really fun to talk. Chris Ketchy is going to be doing it on stock market movers. So don't miss out on that play. It's going to be really fun. I know I'll be watching it here, um, but definitely, guys, tune into that. It's going to be a great time. Um, I know I need to find out what's going on in tech. Are there some worries of Qualcomm? We saw worries of Micron, NVIDIA. A lot of people are going to be watching this. Tune in. That's going to be at 1.30. Up next, you guys got, of course, some live trading action. We've been killing it out the water. I'm going to continue trying to go on my green streak. We'll see what happens today. Get on over to live trading up next, and I'll see you guys continuing the day. Let's go. Let's see what we got today. We're going to keep going. I think I'm feeling a little bullish today. Let's go. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.